0: Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, so I got a call earlier this week. Andrew asked me to come and speak. So I I don't know how you're going to make it up to my wife and family for (laughs) Valentine's Day. But I'm sure you will. Ravioli. Ravioli. It's my favorite food. There you go. Well, thank you for letting me be with you today. We're talking about love. And I find it ironic because um, on this day that we celebrate romance, I... I'm not very good at that, right? I am a typical guy. Now, I am very fortunate. My wife is wonderful. She is beautiful. She is stunning. I, it's one of those things where people go, you know, when they look at you <laughs> for years. Um, uh, and so I'm very grateful. And she's, she's beautiful in so many ways. But uh, uh, she's Italian. I mean, really, like, Italian. Like her father ran numbers for the Gambino family, Italian. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, new Frank Sinatra said he was a wuss in my, in his own words, right? So, uh, yes. And so I always say she's the Ferrari, right? Uh, she's just, my wife is wonderful when she's up and going, but when she goes into the shop, it's really expensive. So, uh, that's how I refer, oh, she's a Ferrari, right? She's unbelievable. Like people, so, um, uh, anyways, that had nothing to do with anything right there. <laughs> nothing. So um, uh, I became a Christian, uh, talking about love, i just give you an give you insight, and, and, and hopefully it'll kind of set the tone for this morning when we talk about how God loves us, right? Uh, and we don't often equate uh, in our culture, uh, we, we're very bifurcated when it comes to uh, love and, um, you know, romantic love, um, our sexuality, and, um, and, and God sees those things all one thing. So, I became a Christian uh, literally a week before my junior year in high school, and it was a revolutionary change in my life, like uh, you know very much you know on off very binary in that sense and um, I remember I started going to this youth group, and God was changing every area of my life and uh, I remember going to the youth group for about six months, about seven months and um, and uh, I noticed there was this very Uh, There was this girl that I wanted to get to meet, but I didn't know how to do it because I'm not very good at love. So what I would do is I would just go for, like, weeks at youth group and Sunday school. I would just go stand by her, right? Right. This is, women, understand, this is sometimes as much as we have. This is our plan as a guy. I will just go. And then maybe by some sort of laws of nature, maybe there was like something physical that if I just were, was in the area, something, something would happen. Like at a certain place, you know, like pheromones, something would go off and they would go, oh, now I find you attractive because you've been in this geographic area, right? This is, so I just stood, I remember just standing by her. You know, and you know approaching her like a like a timid woodland creature of some sort, you know, and um I finally got up the nerve uh, talked with her a few times, and I asked her to go to a movie. Well, I asked her to go to this movie because my thought was maybe if she likes the movie she 'll like me right so this is my plan it 's all I had, but it was a plan and um, and so we went to the movies, but uh, when we got to the movie, the movie was sold out now this is back in the day i 'm fifty so this is back. This is back in the day, and we went to the big movie theater that had like three screens, right? They didn't have these 16 plexes, right? You went to, it used to be just the theater, one movie, if anything, right? So this was the three. This was huge. So that movie was sold out and for, for all the old people, Chariots of Fire, all right? That's how long ago. And what nobody knew is all these Christian groups pre-sold tickets It was sold out for like the first three weeks. So we jumped to another movie, which was actually a possibility, and it was a terrible movie. At the, and, and at the end, everybody dies. It's one of those movies. Everybody dies at the end. I won't go into it, but it was, and it just was a downer. So here is this girl I wanted to get to know. It didn't work. And at the end of it, uh, we, um, we leave the theater, and you're just, there's a heaviness after it. The date is not going well. It's not going well at all. And uh, we have awkward conversation it's already awkward conversation. It's even more awkward conversation. I'm a 17-year-old boy. I, I don't know anything. I'm 50. It's still awkward. At, but it's, you know, <laughs> and the date ends, I remember dropping her off and thinking to myself, well, you know, at least you gave it a shot, right? She's never going to talk to you again. She's like, oh, please, Mom, never make me do that again, right? Um, and so months go by. We still see each other on you know, at youth group, and then one day we were talking, and we were sort of, you know, on the side alone, and she brings up the date, and she says, and it's it's far enough away that she goes, remember that time we went out, and I'm like, oh, no. She goes, she looks at me, she goes, would you ever want to do that again? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've got a window back in. There's redemption, right? I mean, yes, yes, yes. So this time, no movie. Movie bad, no movie. This time, we'll go out to a nice dinner. And my thought, uh, my 17-year-old brain thought, you know, if she likes dinner, maybe she'll like me. So we go to a nice restaurant, and things are going well. Now, one little data point you need to know about this girl that I like. She was really smart, and I am not. I mean, like smart, like graduated high school at the end of her junior year in went to Berkeley, right, Uh, my school was figuring out how to get me out of the school, right, so I don't know what the attraction was that she would actually spend time with me, but I think it was one of those like wounded puppy things where she was like, oh, maybe I can fix him, I don't know what it was, but I was happy with it, I was like, good, go, you know, just all in, so we went out to, we went to a really nice restaurant, and and, and, it's a true story, we were at a nice restaurant, and everything's going great. But now because, we're, now because we've known each other a little bit more, we're talking about things, she's really smart, and I'm not saying too many dumb things, and I'm using all the right forks and silverware, right? I got the napkin in my lap, and, um, and, I'm, and, and we're talking about things, and I don't know what we're talking about, but I'm saying good things, right? I've got, you know, I'm drinking water, my pinky's up, everything's going great. And all of a sudden, just over halfway through dinner, I have this thought and it is the wor- one of the worst thoughts you can have. I'm sure there's many bad thoughts. But this thought for me as a 17-year-old boy was terrible. And my thought was this. Where is my wallet? I do not have my wallet with me. And this is back in the day when you didn't, you know, you couldn't just like PayPal, Bitcoin, nothing like that. I mean, it was cash or it was Juvenile Hall. There was just there was oh no. and so I panic right in the middle. And I, I'm just nervous, and so I start trying to put plans together, like, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, right? And, um, and so I thought to myself, I'll excuse myself, like I'm going to the restroom, and go over to the pay phone, right, and make a collect call, I have no money, you couldn't make a call without, and call my mommy and have her come. Now, I know that after that, there is no more second chances after this, right? I don't do that. Then I, I think, what's the second one? I go, get up, excuse myself, just leave. Just leave the restaurant. <laughs> it's not a great plan, but it was just a plan that I thought. I'm like, I'll just leave because she's never going to see me again. Maybe, maybe you lie, right? Next time I see her, maybe I think to myself, I'll just lie to her. Like, like what happened? I go, oh, I fell. I hit my head, a concussion. Went to, I haven't remembered anything for a week. Were we on a date? I do not even remember. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, there comes a time in a Christian's life that you must lie and they must lie with great imagination. And so I held on to that. I'm like, oh, maybe I need a lie. I don't do any of those, right? I literally sit there on this date and I do nothing because I, again, I'm just a dumb guy. I'm like, ah. Uh. And then I think right, just right before the check comes, I go, okay, just level with her, tell her the truth. And just say, Laura, I forgot my wallet. I'm really sorry. Uh, Maybe we could have some coffee, and I'll go call my mom, and she can come. Again, it's a disaster. All of a sudden, just go all in. Take the loss on the profit loss sheet. Just take the loss, right? And, And just as the check comes, I'm about to tell her this. And as I reach for the check, and I start to say, Laura, I need to tell you something. Her little hand runs under, grabs the check, and she says, I want to pay for this. And I am like, are you kidding me? But what I say is this, no, I couldn't possibly let you pay for dinner. I actually, I aim those words at her. I actually said that to her. And as soon as I said it, I was, I can't get it back. You know, I don't have any other choice but to let her pay for it. And I just, I just imagined. I, I could just imagine God being in heaven, and He's like, "Hey, angels, come over here. You want to see the stupidest man on the face of the earth right now? Right here, right here, right here. <laughs> he, he just turned down a classy miracle. Like what? Like, no one's turned down a classy miracle since Budapest, not back in 1938. I'm like, I know this man right here, right? And so I said it, and then ho- luckily this. this She insisted. She goes, no, I insist. So I said, okay, if you insist, (laughs) you can pay for it. To this day, this girl, Laura, I'm Facebook friends with her, does not know this story. She does not know any of that that happened. And it said to me two things. I tell the story of two things. Um, Number one, uh, when it it comes to love, when it comes to, uh, you know, how um, any sort of, engagement, things like that. It was one of the first times that I really felt that I, my relationship with God, it was one of the first times in my life that I remember, and that's why I still remember it here 30 years later, is that, that God loves doing little things like that to me. I joke around about God calling the angel, but I'm sure that God was like, I'm going to get you out of this one, right? And, and I believe this is the relationship God wants to have with us. He loves doing those little things. And the other thing it really taught me is that I am not good at love. I was never good at, no, it, but, um, but uh, on Valentine's Day, when it comes to this, I want to, uh, this morning, Andrew and I were talking about starting off this series, and I really want to talk about God's love for us. And um, it's, uh, I'm going to be reading out of Revelations um, chapter 2. Now, there's a, a lot of areas that we could go to from, uh, uh, in in Revelations chapter 2. Just a second. I don't, okay, here we go. Um, and God is speaking to the churches. Now, we can talk about God speaking to the church there's a, there's a lot of fun angles in the book of Revelation. But I just want to concentrate on the one, a, the, the one application that would say, anytime God is speaking, right, he's speaking to a specific set of people, we can always say, Within our culture, within our context, what does this mean to us? All right. We can talk about what it meant to the church. We can talk about what it means, you know, within the field. But I just want to just want to concentrate. What does it mean to to us? And what it says is this: to uh, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's a metaphor. It's a picture. Of, uh, of the churches. And uh, there's a couple different views on it, but uh, the, heart, the heart of what I believe God is saying is this to the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And you have persevered and you have endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary. So the first thing God says is and this is the early church it's He's saying look you you are going in the right direction right the uh it's encouraging work you work hard you've persevered which means that they've had trials they've had pushback and uh, without going into the a lot of the background about the about just the city of Ephesus that um that this is a, a group of strong believers, kind of our words we would say. They don't like wickedness. They can smell it out people's personal agendas when it comes to the church. And this is a time when uh, there was a lot uh, there, there, there was a, there was a lot of heresy uh, taking partial truths about what who Jesus was, and they were uh, you know, syn- you know them up with other common religious beliefs. So a lot of the New Testament church, the establishments, the books that were written, First John, were written to combat uh, false beliefs. But in Ephesus, God comes to them and says, "You guys, you, you guys are not allowing this to happen." And even later on in the in the verses, that's what he says. You can't. One thing you have in your favor is you can't tolerate any of this, any of this heresy. So they have good theology, right? And this is important, but it is not the thing. And sometimes in churches, we can be okay with saying, oh, are they a believer? Do they line up? Do they sign on the dotted line? Oh, I believe in Jesus. I don't believe any of that stuff. We go, oh, as long as you believe, you're fine, right? But then he says this, and this is where uh, where it gets hard. Even though they have great theology and they're working and they're suffering for Jesus, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, question mark, right? Repent and do the things you did at first. But if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your uh, lampstand from its place. And that's the church. I will take this, I will, right, I'll take a flamethrower to the place, (laughs) as the expression would be. And so what happens is we can have good theology. We can believe all the right things. Those are important. But God says, but this one thing is missing, right? You've forgotten your first love. And he is our first love. God won't have anything stand in our place. You know, that's the trap. The trap of our faith is that um, we can constantly believe the things around our faith are actually the substance of our faith. I remember living down in Menlo Park during the internet boom. And all of a sudden, this road that I literally drove by every day, right, at Sandhill Boulevard, the venture capitalists, uh, they got off target. They started funding these internet companies knowing that they were never going to be viable companies. Now, I know it's much more complex than that. But all of a sudden, companies, and remember, this is the new economy. What? You don't actually have to be a viable company to have a great IPO. And we had all these companies come up. It became the trap. They started focusing on the wrong wrong thing. And so many of these companies came in, and very quickly, within a few years, all of them, uh, many of them were gone. And with it, um, a lot of jobs in the restaurants back in Menlo Park opened up again because all the little... Little internet guys left. Um, now, um, th- this is true. So there's always this trap. John Wooden, who was the great UCLA basketball coach, used to say, uh, "Never, uh, never mistake activity for achievement." And it's a little bit of what I think th- the point of this is. We can be very active in churches, doing the right thing, but we can miss the main point. And the main point is that God is saying, "Look, I'm a jealous God, and I love you. I want to be. I want to be close to you." All right. Um, I remember one time walking into a. Uh, I was a youth pastor for years, and I was walking into a youth ministry conference with about three, four thousand youth ministers. And on the way in, in St. Louis, at their conference center, there was this other event happening, which was a cheerleading competition. And I'd never forget the cheerleading competition thing is a little weird to me. And if you do it, I really apologize, right? Not cheerleaders, right? If you go to a game and there's cheerleaders, that I get. It's cheerleaders, I go, there are a bunch of cheerleaders in the room cheering for cheering? That's what they're doing? I thought cheering was supposed to be like for an event or something, but now they're cheering to cheer, right? And uh, I I thought that, I found that ironic until I walked into 3,000 youth pastors with no youth in the room and I thought, Just as ironic, we're a bunch of youth pastors talking about youth ministry, but no kids are here, right? So, um, but this is what can happen in our faith. This is where the Pharisees, the Sadducees, this is where they come up. All of a sudden, the trappings, church, the things we're doing, all of a sudden, that becomes the markers that we use to measure our faith. But God goes, none of those, even though you're doing a good job, church, even though you're great. Persevering, You've forgotten your first love, and there's really nothing there if you don't have that. Um, so you can, we can never fall into that trap. Here are the most difficult words in the New Testament for me, found um, in Matthew 7. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That people doing actually the work of God, I, that real substance in their life that, uh, that Jesus says, I never knew you that Jesus wants that everything in our faith comes out of that, not the opposite. We can't ever get that turned upside down. I do things, I give back to God, and then maybe he likes me. We're never having to prove ourselves to God, that his desire is to be close with us. So let's just go through the passage very quickly. And it's, um, it's a really simple outline. And, um, and Andrew just came to me and says, here's what I think the outline is. And, and Andrew, this is, I love it. First is this. He says, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the, uh, the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Right? So the first one is remember. Remember your first love. Many of you, if you had an experience where at times you've had this great relationship with God, he goes, that's Right? That's the energy and excitement I want um, in my relationship with you. That's it. And if you can remember any of those first, any times in your life where you have that first. I remember the first time my wife and I bought a house. How excited we were going from house to house. Oh, I like that. Oh, I want a bigger bedroom. There's no closet space, right? And every time we would turn around, we'd be looking at, right, we'd we'd be invested in it with all of our energy. Like everything else was secondary compared to that right? Almost every time I've come to something new that has been exciting, I've put that kind of energy, uh, that kind of energy into it. Um, in, in, um I remember the first time when I started dating my wife, right? I mean, um, and this is back in the day, but I remember like, you know, we would talk to each other all day long, right? So this is, you know, so early 90s, right? I had the pager, she would page me little numbers because you couldn't page a text, right? You had no voice, right? <laughs> she would page me numbers. Oh, 72. Oh, that's fantastic. She loves me, right? So we had these codes. Or she would be someplace and she'd be like, I'm here. And I'm like, great. And I would leave. I would take a long lunch. I would drive over, meet her halfway for 15, 20 minutes, right? The new things in our life. I remember the first time, you know, when our first daughter, who's now 16, was born. Right, everything rotated around that. We were in love with her. We're still in love with her, but we were we were dumb and in love with her. Now we're that would, But we we're in love with her, right? So, but you know, it was, everything was new. And God goes, that is the relationship I want with you. And it's strange to think that He says the first thing He goes, remember it, right? And there's something about the newness of things that. When we're engaged in it, we're listening for new information. When I first became a Christian, I remember everything was new. I wanted to learn more. So you, I, I, you're open to learning. With my wife, I wanted to know more about her. I was always learning new things about her. Oh, you like that? Right? And this is with it, there's a listening aspect that sometimes we get to know things. We go, yeah, yeah, I know my faith. That God goes, no, I still want you to have the type of relationship where you're pursuing me and always finding out more about me, right? And so how do you listen to God, remember the first things? Where were those times in your life that you listened to God? Whether that was listening to sermons here, finding people, right? Sometimes it's just you meet somebody that you really feel has a, has a deep faith and you go, can we get lunch? Why, I just want to be around you, right? Maybe it just rub off on me of some sort. But I remember that. I remember as a high school kid, I, I remember just always stopping by our church because we had this youth pastor and a couple people and I would just be just showing up all the time. And, and really it was that idea that I want to grow in my faith. This is great. This is really new for me. That was my first love. Now some of us grow up and we don't have a traumatic conversion experience, but God loves when we listen to him. Remember that energy. Then he says, repent. Now, repent always seems shameful, right? Die, huge Bible, finger pointed at you, repent. Like, oh, you know, but it's not. Repent is really a word. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to be sorry. It really means, um, uh, it re- really is this picture of walking in one direction, and repent means, I think I'll go this way now. It's just a turning to go in a better direction or the right direction. Right, Uh, I coach high school basketball. And my boys playing basketball, they need to repent every practice because the things that they've learned, they are terrible at the things. So you're always teaching them to do it the right way. I have no desire for them to say, hey, sorry. I know, great. But this is going to get you. This is going to get you to a better place. right? So it's easy to understand that in sports. When God comes to us, he says, turn and follow me turn and go in this direction and many times the energy of our faith lags because constantly we're asking God to come in our direction God bless what I'm doing and God goes I love you right I love everything you're doing your direction is terrible because what usually happens when we go in our own direction is we asking God to bless what we're doing we're asking him uh to give us something that we think will really make us, right, happy, satisfied. Deep. And often, what if God was to answer that prayer, a number of things could happen, but it would leave, it would set up a dynamic that would keep us away from him. God goes, I can't have you be that far away from me, right? It sometimes puts us in charge. God, you come and do this, and you come and do that, and God goes, oh, so He becomes subservient to us. God, if you just fix these things in my life, everything would be great. And God goes, yes, I want to fix them. I want to work on that. But you're not in charge. And so, until you follow me, I can't work on anything. And over here, going our own direction, um, all of a sudden, our relationship with God can start to feel very cold. It doesn't mean you're not following him or you don't have good theology. It just means that that God goes, no, I love you, but you have to turn and walk in my direction because I want to do it in my way that brings us closer together. That God loves you, that God loves me, that he wants to be close to us. He wants to be really close to us. And sometimes we, it's easier to keep God at a distance, right? At times. Let me control kind of my world. Let me control my children, right? And God goes, "Come come and follow me. So that thing we need to do is repent. And really that's about turning and following in, in, in after God. God, what, what do you want? Oh, I'm glad you asked. And then when he, now he can answer that prayer and, you have, and, and you're taken out of the equation. Because if he answers it, right, now, you can tr- now that builds trust in him. This way, going your own direction, right, that builds pride, that builds ego, God does something and you step in front of him and take credit or partial credit. And that, again, now God is subservient to you. And God will never share his glory, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't bring you and me closer to him. So God's desire is that we always, that repent, is always turn and come after me. Why? Because I want to be close to you, right? And then he says, do the things you did at first, right? Do the things you did at first. God, I believe, is always trying to get back to the garden. He'd go back to the first. He'd walk with Adam in the morning. He'd walk with him in the evening. That right? like God loves to be with us. And on Valentine's Day, if you think about it, is that God? Um, is that can you have that sort of relationship that is that close? God, can you walk with me all day? I mean, can you surprise me? Can you have that type of relationship with uh, with God that you allow God to show you, you say, God, what do you want to do this day? What do you want me to do today? And in every area that you can invite him into, every area of your life, right? And there's sometimes that, um, like I was, uh, last spring I was getting on a plane. I was going, my friend, uh, my best friend turned 50. And so, my uh, His wife flew me and a couple friends. We all met out at a golf course in North Carolina some you know to play golf and i 'm getting onto the plane, and I have no place to put my overhead luggage i 'm looking i 'm like oh no, no well why don 't I tell you? I just hurt my knee, so I went out to this really nice golf course, Pinehurst in North Carolina, and the three days before I had torn my meniscus and i couldn 't play. I drove it on a cart. It was awesome. let me tell you but uh, so I'm hobbling on, and I'm like, okay, I have no place to put my overhead luggage. And then right behind me, the guy behind me go, looks at me, and he just taps me, and he goes, hey, you can put your stuff up there. And I'm like, what? He goes, just move that stuff over and put it up there. I have no idea why this guy said this. He goes, I'll take that one over there. I'm like, okay. And I put it up, <laughs> and I sit down. just right by my seat. I, I passed by it. It didn't hit anything. And I sat down, and I went, wait a minute. Jesus, was that you? And I just felt, I, I know, I don't read into it. I just felt, I'm, I'm Presbyterian, I'm not charismatic, but I have the moments. And I just felt like, I just felt like Jesus going, no, I, have, I like, I care about you. And it just, it hit me like, that had to be you. Thank you. Okay, maybe it was coincidence. I don't think so. Jesus, thank you. That was like, you're with me. You are taking care of me to that level of granularity. So then on the way back, I'm getting on the plane. I sit down and the, and the flight is packed. And my leg, I have a, it's my right leg. Sure enough, there's a one, I'm not kidding. There's one empty seat on the flight back and it's the one to my right. And, um, and I sat there and I went, so I got to stretch my leg out for the five hour, four and a half hour flight all the way back to San Francisco. And I'm like, you again? He's like, yeah, just a little bit, right? So, um, but God will go f- before you. And if you give him your day, if you do that, all of a sudden you'll see that God will say, no, 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 don't go in your own direction. So this has started to change everything. Before I go into any meeting now, I just go, God, what do you want to accomplish in this meeting? God goes, thank you. Now I can accomplish it. Okay? I used to walk into rooms and say, like, oh, you know, oh that guy, oh, Pastor Andrew. I want to go sit next to him. He's really important, right? And, um, you know, now I just go, go sit down, see who God sends next to me. God, who do you want me to talk to today? In every area, right? All of a sudden, it goes, great. Then when he does it, then when he works, you know When something happens, wait a minute, God, you're doing that, not me. He goes, yeah, now I can work in this area because now you know and I know that I'm the one. And all of a sudden, that's my faith starts to grow and my affection and my trust starts to grow in him that I can give him every area of my life. Walking around, God, what do you want to do here? Right? And so I goes, yes, this is the kind of relationship. I want that close relationship, that energy. Even to the place where sometimes I have my day off and I go, God, can you, we just spend the day together. So in the morning, like, God, will you, can you just go before me and show me what you wanna do? Almost every time, like um, some of you know, I work at City Team, we're a mission. Like yesterday morning, we have three, four big groups coming in. If they all come in at the same time, we're underwater. It'll be chaos. And I'm not kidding, every Saturday, God, you set the agenda for the day. And I, it's, it's like they all orchestrated themselves. I'm not kidding, one group comes in early, we do an introduction, talk with them, send them out, and literally on cue, the next group's coming in. We don't have anything to do with it. We don't set the timing, I just, every week, I just pray, and almost every week, it's the right people coming in at the right time, right? And our little room won't hold as many people as we had yesterday. I find that in my own life. God, take my agenda. What do you want to do today? Would you work out the timing, right, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That God wants to have that type of relationship with you and me. He wants to go, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. So as you seek God, sometimes he'll say, wait for it. What? I want you to pray longer. What, I want us to talk more about it. Why? Because when then when I move, you'll know it's me and you won't, you won't get your hands on it. You're praying for your daughter. You're praying for your son. God goes, great, I want to do the work. So you can take your hands off, right? And then when I work, right, you'll know it's me. God wants the glory. He wants the credit uh, in the best sense of the word. And I don't know, I think living in our culture, it's easy for us to take, even within our faith, to start taking credit, right? My way is Yahweh, as I used to say, I, uh, you know, you know. Like, you know, God, come, you know, come bless what I'm doing. But God says, no, I want to have that relationship where things happen. And you can only explain it to your good friends because everybody else would think you're crazy. Like, well, I think God did this. And it's not trying to be sensational with him. It's really this place of starting with talking with God incessantly, giving him every area of your life. So here's my challenge as you go forward and you look at the, as you go forward towards Easter and with uh, the seven challenges that you have um, that, uh, that you're going to be talking about is I pray, I started praying this dangerous prayer, right? I am not a morning person. And I started praying this prayer and I said, Jesus, would you get me up tomorrow morning when you want me to get up? And boom, 4.20 this morning, I'm up, Right? And I'm like, and I, I mean, there's been mornings that I look over at the clock and it's 3 in the morning, and I'm like, really? And, I, and I'm, okay, okay. I'm going to say it because I, 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 then I would say, and I really hear the Holy Spirit saying, uh, and I'm fortunate that he says this, he goes, come on, get up, make some coffee, let's meet, right? So this happens. And uh, finally, I was talking at City Team. We also have a network of church planners all over the world. So I was talking to our head African strategist. And uh, his name is Shadonke, Shadonke Johnson. And I'm like, Shadonke, I'm like, it's crazy. I get up in the morning, because he kind of mentioned it. I go, God, it's crazy. I get up in the morning, sometimes crazy early, find the rest of the day. And um, he said something to me that I never heard in seminary. And this was his thought, and it really emboldened me to do it more, and I want to share it with you. He said, um, He said, there is a rest deeper than any rest you can receive when you spend time with the Lord. In other words, if God calls you to get up, get up. God goes, his, his rest, and I find this to be true. I'm, for me, I'm not tired through the rest of my day, but God says, he gets me up before my house gets up just to spend time with him, right? So I'm not saying that God will work in that way when you listen to God, but that's one of the primary ways that I listen to God. The other thing that I do is this, when I pray, I pray out loud. The word—I don't know why—but it cements in the things that are happening a lot deeper. And if God really impresses upon me, like talk to this person today. Sometimes I'll pray for people, and and, 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 and all of a sudden it'll be like I don't know why I'm praying for this person, but I just really feel a, a deep sense to to you know to pray for them or to talk about it. I will just write. I write that down, right? I just go over my notes and my iPad, and I just write it down. If he presses, I, I read scripture, but I just spend time, uh, and this is the way he does it with me. For you, it might be through journaling. Through you, it might be through, right? And this is what part of the seven challenges are about. But understand this. For me, my days are very different when I get to spend time with God like that. He wants, I, I just believe, he wants to go before us. He wants to show you, just like if you have any romantic relationship, how you want to surprise it, God goes, I have that. And I could tell you just dozens and dozens of stories through my day of how the connectedness, how God will make your path straight. And each of those little things then, when you come at it from that point of view, aren't God fulfilling your desires. It's this this overwhelming sense that this God that that you love loves you like loves the smallest things in your life and is thinking about you. And then the bigger things, you go, he's working on it. I know he's in this. He's saying, you know, there's some things in my family right now that we go, he's saying, you know, he's working on it, but he, he's so strategic. He's got such great timing. He knows what he's doing. All right? That you get that sense of trust and God wants to build that within you. And so... um, uh, so let me encourage you. This just now, if you don't get up in the morning, you're not. It's not a spiritual thing, right? People who are spiritual get up in the morning. It's not that. It's about it's about finding finding little times in your day. Maybe for you, you your breaks, you go. I'm going to go hide away with God. God, is there anything you want to tell me? Right, just like you would somebody that loves you. And God, our Father, will meet you. The Holy Spirit will become, his voice will come louder. The more you talk with him, the more you listen to him, the more energy uh, will come into your faith, right? Anyways, uh, let me close in prayer. And uh, as I do, I know Pam will be in the back to pray, if you want to pray, and then we're going to come up and have uh, communion. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever uh, imagine and that you um, have such a desire to be close with us. Thank you for these words to the church at Ephesus. And they are words to us. Might we turn, Holy Spirit, would you just show us individually what are those things that we're, we're holding on to that we just need to drop and follow in your direction? We wanna, we Father, build our faith in you. Build our love for you, our affection for you. And let us know that we can trust you with everything in our lives. Help us to place anything to repent, to place anything down, Father. That we wouldn't engineer things, but we would lovingly follow you. And Father, to all my friends here, my brothers and sisters, would you you show us how you want to connect with us? You made us. Whether it's at night, middle of the day, in between, classes, whatever it would be. Would you set a fun, uh, loving rhythm with us to talk with you and give you every part of our life? And Holy Spirit, just be loud. Speak to us loudly over our culture, over our upbringing. Speak loudly, Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.